All right, here we go. This is apparently from a book called The Lady of the Barge by W.W. Jacobs. And I don't know if this lady is some demonic witch lady or something. Uh, she doesn't look like it. She looks like a upstanding woman on the front of this cover that I'm looking at. But the thing is, I think this is a book of short stories by W.W. Jacobs, author of Many Cargoes, Light Freights, etc., etc., it says. And I think this is a book of short stories, and the book that we're going to be reading is called The Monkey's Paw. It showed up in the Gothic section of the Gutenberg Library. So let's see what this is all about. Part one of The Monkey's Paw. Without, the night was cold and wet, but in the small parlor of La Burnham Villa, the blinds were drawn and the fire burned brightly. Father and son were at chess, the former who possesses who possessed ideas about the game involving radical changes, putting his king into such sharp and unnecessary perils that it even provoked comment from the white-haired old lady knitting placidly by the fire. Oh, wow. The old lady knitting by the fire gasped at this chess move that the kid made. Hark at the wind, said Mr. White, who, having seen a fatal mistake after it was too late, was amiably desirous of preventing his son from seeing it. I'm listening, said the latter, grimly surveying the board as he stretched out his hand. Check. I should hardly think he'd come tonight, said his father, with his hand poised over the board. Mate, replied the son. That's the worst of the living so uh that's the worst of living so far out, bawled Mr. White, with sudden and unlooked for violence. Of all the beastly, slushy, out of the way places to live in, this is the worst. Pathway's a bog, and the road's a torrent. I know what people are thinking about it. I suppose because only two houses in the road are let, they think it doesn't matter. Never mind, dear, said his wife, soothingly. Perhaps you'll win the next one. So far, I'm kind of confused. I'm not sure who he's talking about and what he's talking about. Anyway, sounds like he lost. Mr. White looked up sharply, just in time to intercept a knowing glance between mother and son. The words died away on his lips, and he hid a guilty grin in his thin gray beard. There he is, said Herbert White as the gate banged too loudly and heavy footsteps came toward the door. The old man rose with hospitable haste, and opening the door, was heard condoling with the new arrival. The new arrival was... The new arrival also condoled with himself, so that Mrs. White said, tut-tut, and coughed gently as her husband entered the room, followed by a tall, burly man, beady of eye and ribucund of visage. Ribicund. Ribicund of visage. I love that word, though I don't know what it means. Sergeant Major Morris, he said, introducing him. The Sergeant Major shook hands and, taking the proffered seat by the fire, watched contentedly while his host got out whiskey and tumblers and stood a small copper kettle on the fire. You making hot toddies? 
At the third glass, his eyes got brighter and he began to talk. The little family circle, the little family circle regarding with eager interest this visitor from distant parts. As he squared his broad shoulders in the chair and spoke of wild scenes and doughty deeds, doughty deeds, doughty deeds of wars and plagues and strange peoples. Twenty-one years of it, said Mr. White, nodding at his wife and son. When he went away, he was a slip of a youth in the warehouse. Now look at him. He don't look to have taken much harm, said Miss White politely. She's got a southern accent now, apparently. I'd like to go to India myself, said the old man. Just to look around a bit, you know. Better where you are, said the sergeant major, major shaking his head. He put down the empty glass and, sighing softly, shook it again. I should like to see those old temples and fackers and jugglers, said the old man. What was that you started telling me the other day about a monkey's paw or something, Morris? Nothing, said the soldier hastily. Leastways, nothing worth hearing. Monkey's paw, said Miss White curiously. Well, it's just a bit of what you might call magic, perhaps, said the sergeant major offhandedly. His three listeners leaned forward eagerly. The visitor absentmindedly put his empty glass to his lips and then set it down again. His host filled it for him. To look at, said the sergeant major, fumbling in his pocket, it's just an ordinary paw dried to a mummy. He took something out of his pocket and proffered it. Miss White drew back in a grimace, but her son, taking it, examined it curiously. By the way, I've totally like heard of stories about a monkey's paw, like a you know mystical monkey's paw. I don't know if this is like the definitive one. Maybe it is. Maybe this is where the whole monkey's paw thing came from. Like I, I even think there's like a, a Simpsons episode about a monkey's paw or something. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Son taking it examined it curiously. And what is there special about it? Inquired Mr. White as he took it from his son and having examined it, placed it upon the table. It had a spell put on it by an old fakir. I don't know what a fakir is, by the way, but must be some sort of a monk or priest, said the sergeant major, a very holy man. Well, there you go. (laughs) He wanted to show that fate ruled people's lives and that those who interfered with it did so to their sorrow. He put a spell on it so that three separate men could each have three wishes from it. His manner was so impressive that his hearers were conscious that their light laughter jarred somewhat. Well, why don't you have three, sir? Said Herbert White cleverly. The soldier regarded him in the way that middle age is wont to regard presumptuous youth. I have, he said quietly, and his blotchy face whitened. And did you really have the three wishes granted? asked Mrs. White. I did, said the sergeant major, and his glass tapped against his strong teeth. And has anybody else wished? persisted the old lady. The first man had his three wishes, yes, was the reply. I don't know what the first two were, but the third was for death. That's how I got the paw. His tones were so grave that a hush fell upon the group. 
If you've had your three wishes, it's no good to you now then, Morris, said the old man at last. What do you keep it for? The soldier shook his head. Fancy, I suppose, he said slowly. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It has caused enough mischief already. Besides, people won't buy. They think it's a fairy tale, some of them, and those who do think anything of it want to try it first and pay me afterwards. If you could have another three wishes, said the old man, eyeing him keenly, would you have them? I don't know, said the other. I don't know. He took the paw and, dangling it between his forefinger and thumb, suddenly threw it upon the fire. White, with a slight cry, stooped down and snatched it off. Oh, white, White's the old the, the husband. Better let it burn, said the soldier solemnly. If you don't want it, Morris, said the other, give it to me. I won't, said his friend doggedly. I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't blame me for what happens. Pitch it on that fire again like a sensible man. The other shook his head and examined his new possession closely. How do you do it? He required. Hold it up in your right hand and wish aloud, said the sergeant major. But I warn you of the consequences. Sounds like the Arabian Nights, said Miss White, as she rose and began to set supper. Don't you think you might wish for four pairs of hands for me? Four pairs of hands for me. (laughs) Her husband drew the talisman from pocket and then all three burst into laughter as the sergeant major, with a look of alarm on his face, caught him by the arm. If you wish, he said gruffly, wish for something sensible. Mr. White dropped it back in his pocket and, placing chairs, motioned his friend to the table. In the business of supper, the talisman was partly forgotten, and afterward the three sat listening in an enthralled fashion to a second installment of the soldier's adventures in India. If the tale about the monkey's paw is not more truthful than those he has been telling us, said Herbert, as the door closed behind their guest, just in time for him to catch the last train, we shan't make much out of it. Did you give him anything for it, father? inquired Mrs. White, regarding her husband closely. A trifle, he said, coloring slightly. He didn't want it, but I I made him take it, and he pressed me again to throw it away. Likely, said Herbert, with pretended horror. Why, we're going to be rich and famous and happy. Wish to be an emperor, father, to begin with. Then you can't be henpecked. And so you think you're smart, kid, huh? Herbert is the kid, I guess. Herbert's the kid, Mrs. White, and what was Mr. White's name? Did they say? I don't remember. Morris, right? No, is Morris the soldier? <laughs> I'm so bad with names, you guys. If you had your three wishes, it's no good to you now then, Morris. Yeah, Morris is the soldier. Okay, um, 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 I lost my place. I lost my place. I lost my place. Emperor. Where is emperor to begin with? I I feel like I read that last sentence really bad, you guys. I'm going to try again. Herbert is the kid. I got to remember. Herbert's the kid. 
Likely, said Herbert with pretended horror. Well, that wasn't very pretended horror, huh? What would it sound like to say likely with pretended horror? Likely, right? Why, we're going to be rich and famous and happy. Wish to be an emperor, father, to begin with. Then you can't be henpecked. Henpecked, I've never... I grew up on a chicken ranch, and I've never heard henpecked. Um, I imagine henpecking means people asking you for money. That's what I imagine henpecking is, but I don't know if that's what he means. He darted around the table, pursued by the maligned Mrs. White, armed with an anti-mascar. What is an anti-mascar? Anti-mascar? White? Mrs. White armed with an anti-mascar. Hmm, don't know. Mr. White took the paw from his pocket and eyed it dubiously. I don't know what to wish for, and that's a fact, <laughs> he said slowly. It seems to me I've got all I want. Oh, that's sweet. If you only cleared the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you? Said Herbert with his hand on his shoulder. Well, wish for 200 pounds then. That'll just do it. Is this in... England? I think it is in England. England. Okay, his father, smiling shamefacedly at his own credulity, held up the talisman as his son, with a solemn face, somewhat marred by a wink at his mother, sat down at the piano and struck a few impressive chords. I wish for 200 pounds, said the old man distinctly. A fine crash from the piano greeted the words interrupted by a shuddering cry from the old man. His wife and son ran toward him. It moved, he cried, with a glance of disgust at the object as it lay on the floor. As I wished, it twisted in my hand like a snake. Well, I don't see the money, said his son as he picked it up and placed it on the table, and I bet I never shall. It must have been your fancy, father, said his wife, regarding him anxiously. He shook his head. Never mind, though. There's no harm done. But it gave me a shock all the same. They sat down by the fire again while the two men finished their pipes. Wait, two men? How old's this kid? How old do you have to be to smoke a pipe in 1800 England? I think this was written in the 1800s. Or maybe he's older, hasn't moved out yet, don't know. Outside, the wind was higher than ever, and the old man started nervously at the sound of a door banging upstairs. A silence, unusual and depressing, settled upon all three, which lasted until the old couple rose to retire for the night. I expect you'll find the cash tied up in a big bag in the middle of your bed, said Herbert, as he bade them good night and something horrible squatting up on top of the wardrobe watching you as you pocket your ill-gotten gains. He sat alone in the darkness, gazing at the dying fire and seeing faces in it. The last face was so horrible and so simian that he gazed at it in amazement. It got so vivid that, with a little uneasy laugh, he felt on the table for a glass containing a little water to throw over it. His hand grasped the monkey's paw and with a little shiver, he wiped his hand on the coat and went to bed. <laughs> okay. Okay. Simeon. I like that um, word for monkey. Simeon. Uh, cool. So if you weren't paying attention, 
a buddy soldier comes back and visits this his friend and family. Uh, his friend and his family, and he pulls out this little monkey paw he got. Apparently, he has already used all three wishes, and the guy before it had used all three, and the last one he wished to die. So now, the whites have used one of their wishes, but we have not gotten the result yet. And just before he goes to bed, he sees a simian, a simian face in the fire. Okay, that was part one. Part two, we move forward. In the brightness of the wintry sun next morning, as it steamed over the breakfast table, he laughed at his fears. There was an air of prosaic wholesomeness about the room, which it had lacked on the previous night, and the dirty, shriveled little paw was pitched on the sideboard with a carelessness which betokened no great belief in its virtues. "'I suppose all old soldiers are the same,' said Mrs. White. "'The idea of our listening to such nonsense. How could wishes be granted in these days? And if they could, how could two hundred pounds hurt you, father?' Okay, it's confusing because Miss White calls her husband father. You know, I know people do that, but whatever. Might drop on his head from the sky, said the frivolous Herbert, who was apparently an older son. Morris, the soldier, said the things happened so naturally, said his father, that you might, if you, that you might, if you so wished, attribute it to coincidence. Well, don't break into the money before I come back, said Herbert as he rose from the table. I'm afraid it'll turn you a mean into a mean, avaricious man, and we shall have to disown you. His mother laughed and, following him to the door, watched him down the road. And returning to the breakfast table, was very happy at the expense of her husband's credulity. I may not have read that with the right cadence, but I'm just going to move on all of which did not prevent her from scurrying to the door at the postman's knock, nor prevent her from referring somewhat shortly to retired Sergeant Major's majors of bibulous habits when she found that the post brought a, tra- a tailor's bill. I'm sorry, I was so enraptured by the word bibulous which I don't know what it means. Okay, sorry. I gotta know. I gotta know. Bibulous. Excessively fond of drinking alcohol. Oh, an an imbiber. A wine bibber. A beer bibber. Uh, Retired Sergeant Majors of Bibulous Habits when she found that the post brought a tailor's bill. Herbert will have some more of his funny remarks, I expect, when he comes home, she said, as they sat at dinner. So she, you're telling me she got a bill for from a tailor in the mail. A bill from a tailor. So someone had a suit made, and they're sending the bill to their door, I guess. Interesting. I dare say, said Mr. White, pouring himself out some beer, but for all that, the thing moved in my hand. And I'll swear to it. You thought it did, said the old lady soothingly. I say it did, replied the other. There was no thought about it. I had just... What's the matter? His wife made no reply. She was watching the mysterious movements of a man outside, who, peering in an undecidedly fashion at the house, appeared to be trying to make up his mind to enter. In mental connection with the 200 pounds, she noticed that the stranger was well-dressed 
and wore a silk hat of glossy newness. Three times he paused at the gate and then walked on again. The fourth time he stood with his hand upon it and then with sudden resolution flung it open and walked up the path. Mrs. White at the same moment placed her hands behind her and hurriedly unfastening the strings of her apron put that useful article of apparel beneath the cushion of her chair. (laughs) Okay. She brought the stranger, who seemed ill at ease, into the room. He gazed at her furtively and listened in a preoccupied fashion as the old lady apologized for the appearance of the room and her husband's coat, a garment which he usually reserved for the garden. Then uh, She then waited as patiently as her sex would permit for him to broach his business, but he was at first strangely silent. I was asked to call, he said at last, and stooped and picked a piece of cotton from his trousers. I come from Ma and Megan's. The old lady startled. Is anything the matter? She asked breathlessly. Has anything happened to Herbert? What is it? What is it? Her husband interposed. There, there, mother, he said hastily. Sit down and don't jump to conclusions. You've not brought bad news, I'm sure, sir. And he eyed the other wistfully. I'm sorry, began the visitor. Is he hurt? demanded the mother wildly. The visitor bowed in assent. Badly hurt, he said quietly, but he is not in any pain. Oh, thank God, said the old woman, clasping her hands. Thank God for that. Thank, she broke off suddenly as the sinister meaning of the assurance dawned upon her and she saw the awful confirmation of her fears in the other's averted face. She caught her breath, and turning to her slow, slower-witted husband, laid her trembling old hand upon his. There was a long silence. He was caught in the machinery, said the visitor at length in a low voice. Caught in the machinery, repeated Mr. White in a dazed fashion. Yes. He sat staring blankly out at the window, and taking his wife's hand between his own, pressed it as he had been wont to do in their old courting days near forty years before. He was the only one left to us, he said, turning gently to the visitor. It is hard. The other coughed and, rising, walked slowly to the window. The firm wished me to to convey their sincere sympathy with you and your great loss, he said, without looking round. I beg that you will understand... I am only their servant and merely obeying orders. There was no reply. The old woman's face was white, her eyes staring, and her breath inaudible. On the husband's face was a look such as his friend the sergeant might have carried into his first action. I was to say that Ma and Megan's disclaim all responsibility, continued the other. They admit to no liability at all, but in consideration of your son's services, they wish to present you with a certain sum as compensation. Mr. White dropped his wife's hand and, rising to his feet, gazed with a look of horror at his visitor. His dry lips shaped the words, How much? Two hundred pounds, was the answer. Unconscious of his wife's shriek, the old man smiled faintly put out his hands like a sightless man and dropped a senseless heap to the floor. Okay. 
I'll be honest, when I was reading that, I didn't realize like enough time had passed unless it really was just like 15 minutes later. I mean, I had the sense that the son had left like just 15 minutes ago. It was like still on his way to work or something. I mean, it could be, but maybe I missed something. Maybe they'd explain that it was later in the day. I'm going to take a little drink. One moment. And that was the sound of the coaster I made, which cups always stick to, you know, surface tension. Anyway. Um, all right. So the first, by the way, I'm getting the feeling that these are like grandma and grandpa. They're like old. Okay. And the son is, you know, obviously a, a working man. Um, yeah. So they, so he asks for 200 pounds and he got it in the form of payment for his son's services and death at his job. Well, that sucks. I bet they're going to double her down. Let's see what happens in part three. In the huge new cemetery, some two miles distant, the old people buried their dead and came back to a house steeped in shadow and silence. It was all over so quickly that at first... They could hardly realize it. I'm reading bad. I'm reading bad right now, you guys. It was all over so quickly that at first they could hardly realize it and remained in a state of expectation as though of something else to happen, something else which was to lighten this load, too heavy for an old for old hearts to bear. But the days passed, and expectation gave place to resignation, the hopeless resignation of the old, sometimes miscalled apathy. Sometimes they hardly exchanged a word, for now they had nothing to talk about, and their days were long to weariness. It was about a week after that that the old man, walking, waking suddenly in the night, stretched out his hand and found himself alone. The room was in darkness, and the sound of subdued weeping came from the window. He raised himself in bed and listened. "'Come back,' he said tenderly. "'You will be cold.' It is colder for my son, said the old woman, and wept afresh. The sound of her sobs died away on his ears. The bed was warm, and his eyes heavy with sleep. He dozed fitfully, and then slept until a sudden wild cry from his wife awoke him with a start. The paw, she cried wildly, the monkey's paw. He started up in alarm. Where? Where is it? What's the matter? Okay, I'm going to pause here right now because started i i would always use startled but i understand i read it all the time to be started is to be alarmed i just don't use it that way i don't know anyway always bothers me she came stumbling across the room toward him i want it she said quietly you've not destroyed it it's in the parlor on the bracket he replied marveling why she cried and laughed together, and bending over, kissed his cheek. I only just thought of it, she said hysterically. Oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Why didn't I think of it before? Why didn't you think of it? Think of what? he questioned. The two other wishes, she replied rapidly. We've only had one. Was, was not that enough? he demanded fiercely. No, she cried triumphantly. We'll have one more. Go down and get it quickly and wish our boy alive again. 
The man sat up in bed and flung the bedclothes from his quaking limbs. Good God, you're mad, he cried aghast. Get it, she panted. Get it quickly and wish. Oh, my boy, my boy. Her husband struck a match and oh, I, I was scared. I thought she, I thought he was striking her. Her husband struck a match and lit the candle. Get back to bed, he said unsteadily. Don't you know what you are saying? We had the first wish granted, said the old woman feverishly. Why not the second? A coincidence, stammered the old man. Go and get it and wish, cried his wife, quivering with excitement. The old man turned and regarded her. His voice shook. He has been dead ten days, and besides, he... I would not tell you else, but I could only recognize him by his clothing. If he was too terrible for you to see then, how now? Oh, man, so he was all messed up, huh? Yikes. Bring him back, cried the old woman, and dragged him toward the door. Do you think I fear the child I have nursed? He went down in the darkness and felt his way to the parlor and then to the mantelpiece. The talisman was in its place, and a horrible fear the, that the unspoken wish might bring his mutilated son before him ere he could escape from the room seized upon him, and he caught his breath as he found that he had lost the direction of the door. His brow cold with sweat, he felt his way around the table and groped along the wall until he found himself in the small passage with the unwholesome thing in his hand. Even his wife's face seemed changed as he entered the room. It was white, expectant, and to his fears seemed to have an unnatural look upon it. He was afraid of her. Wish, she cried in a strong voice. It is a foolish and wicked, he faltered. Wish, repeated his wife. He raised his hand. I wish my son alive again. The talisman fell to the floor, and he regarded it fearfully. Uh, then he sank trembling into a chair as the old woman, with burning eyes, walked to the window and raised the blind. He sat until he was chilled with the cold, glancing occasionally at the figure of the old woman peering through the window. The candle end, which had burned below the rim of the china candlestick, was throwing pulsating shadows on the ceiling and walls until, with a flicker larger than the rest, it expired. The old man with an unspeakable sense of relief at the failure of the talisman, crept back into his bed. And a minute or two afterward, the old woman came silently and apathetically beside him. I guess it didn't work. Let's just go to bed. Of course, you know. Okay. Uh, here we go. Oh, I have a picture now. There's a picture in this story. And yes, they are very old. I mean, we're talking like 80 Interesting. Okay. Looks like some scary crap is about to happen based on this spooky picture. Um, neither spoke, but lay silently listening to the ticking of the clock. A stair creaked, and a squeaky mouse scurried noisily through the wall. The darkness was oppressive, and after lying for some time, screwing up his courage, he took the box of matches and, striking one, went downstairs for a candle. At the foot of the stairs, the match went out, and he paused to strike another. 
and at the same moment a knock, so quiet and stealthily as to be scarcely audible, sounded on the front door. Oh, crap. The matches fell from his hand and spilled in the passage. He stood motionless, his breath suspended until the knock was repeated. Then he turned and fled swiftly back to his room and closed the door behind them. A third knock sounded throughout the house. Oh no, you don't have your matches anymore. What's that? cried the old woman, staring up. It's your fault, old woman. I added that. I added that right now. A rat, said the old man in shaking tones. A rat. It passes me on the stairs. His wife sat up in bed listening. A loud knock resounded through the house. It's Herbert, she screamed. It's Herbert. She ran to the door, but her husband was before her, and catching her by the arm, held her tightly. What are you going to do? He whispered hoarsely. It's my boy, it's Herbert, she cried, struggling mechanically. I forgot it was two miles away. What are you holding me for? Let go. I must open the door. For God's sake, don't let it in, cried the old man, trembling. You are afraid of your own son, she cried, struggling. Let me go. I'm coming, Herbert. I'm coming. There was another knock and another. The old woman, with a sudden wrench, broke free and ran from the room. Her husband followed her to the landing and called after her appealingly as she hurried downstairs. He heard the chain rattle back and the bottom bolt drawn slowly and stiffly from the socket. Then the old woman's voice strained and panting. The bolt, she cried loudly. Come down. I can't reach it. But her husband was on his hands and knees groping wildly on the floor in search of the paw. If he could only find it before the thing outside got in. A perfect fusillade of knocks reverberated through the house, and he heard the scraping of a chair as his wife put it down in the passage against the door. He heard the creaking of the bolt as it came slowly back, and at the same moment he found the monkey's paw, and frantically breathed his third and last wish. The knocking ceased suddenly, although the echoes of it were still in the house. He heard the chair draw back, and the door open, A cold wind rushed up the staircase, and a long, loud wail of disappointment and misery from his wife gave him courage to run down beside her. And then to the gate beyond, the street lamp flickering opposite shone on a quiet and deserted road. And that's it. Ah, there you go. I mean... Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I guess I, uh, okay, so let's figure this out. I mean, his third wish must have been for his son to be dead again. I mean, is that right? It must be. The knocking ceased suddenly. Okay, breathe his third and last wish. The knocking ceased suddenly, although the echoes of it were still in the house. He heard the chair drawn back and the door opened. A cold wind rushed up the staircase, and a long, loud wail of disappointment and misery from his wife gave him courage to run down to her side and then to the gate beyond. Okay, so no, no, no. He didn't wish it. He wished his son vanished or something, right? Probably. He probably said, I wish my son disappeared or something. I don't know. Uh, There you have it. The monkey's paw. The monkey's paw. Not bad. Not bad. 
definitely have like heard this tale before. I certainly have never read the story, but I know of the tale. And now you do too, if you didn't already. Let's find out about this author, Mr. Dub Dub Jacobs. W.W. Jacobs was an English author who is best known for his short stories, particularly his horror and supernatural tales. He was born in London, England, and grew up blah, 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 blah. There you go. The Monkey's Paw, his most well-known story. So actually, this could have been in the um, 1900s. When was it written? Does it have like... Let me see. The monkey's paw. Um, ah, here we go. The story was first published in 1902 and then featured in The Lady of the Barge, published in 1911. There you go. So The Lady of the Barge is the book of short stories. Interesting. This website, AmericanLiterature.com, created The Monkey's Paw Study Guide. There is a freaking study guide. On the monkey's paw. Symbolism. Monkey's paw. The talisman symbolizes desire and greed. The evil that comes from tempting fate. Literary illusions. Familiar and unsettling. Oh, okay. Here's a, here's a, This study guide has interesting vocabulary. Fakir or fakir. Arabic term for a Muslim ascetic. Ascetic, someone who abstains from earthly pleasures. Talisman, an object charged with magical powers by its creator. Amulet, though not in the story. Good to know for comparison. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for this study guide. (laughs) Okay. Oh, okay. Let's just let's just go through two, three at most discussion questions. Okay, this will add a little bit extra content to this uh, episode. What is the meaning of the epigraph and how does it relate to the themes of the story? Discuss tempting fate. What the crap is the epigraph? Did I get an epigraph? Epigraph, an inscription on a building, statue, or coin. There was an epigraph? I don't remember the epigraph, you guys. I have to search for the word now. No, it's not in this story. I don't get it. All right, number two. Why did the sergeant major bother holding on to the monkey's pot after the terror it cost him? Why doesn't Jacobs reveal the details of his wish to the reader? That's a good question. That is a good question. So he already used all three of his wishes, right? I mean, he does tell him of the terror it cost him. But he never does tell him his way. I guess he's embarrassed. I don't know. Three, describe the superstitious symbolism of threes. Three people being uh, granted three wishes. Three people in the White family. Three knocks at the door. Hmm. Describe the superstitious symbolism of threes. I mean, I didn't think about all the threes. But yeah, there are a lot of threes. You guys, this is why I'm bad at, like, writing essays. I don't know how to answer these questions. Describe the superstitious symbolism of threes. How the crap am I supposed to describe that? I have no idea. Okay, these questions were terrible. Anyway, 
Hope you guys enjoyed it. I did. And we'll read something else next time.